Welcome to this episode of Reading Beyond the Lines. I'm thrilled to have Philip Till join me today uh, for this episode of our podcast. Philip handed over the reins of Academic Dean of English at Kilvington Grammar School to me last year and is now teaching IB and VC uh, literature at MacRob and language and literature. Uh, And I was the lucky one here in that I inherited Philip's book list for the current cohort of Year 12s. And on that book list for literature was the collection of short stories, um, Stories of Your Life and Others by Ted Chung. I've just absolutely loved uh, teaching this collection and I'm really pleased to have you on the podcast. It is an absolute delight to be joining you, Ms. Murr. Thank you so much for this invitation. Um, It's a great opportunity for me to reconnect with students and others at your community and to continue building this great network that your podcast enables. Um, So, yes, thank you for landing Ted Chang in my lap for literature for 2023 because, as I said, I don't know that it was necessarily top of my list as a potential text choice. Um, it was on my radar, but I, I yeah, it's I've just found it absolutely astonishing and I think the yeah. kids are really into it as well. I think, it, you know, we have our moments with it. Um, but, yeah, we've, there's minds blowing all over the place, which is good. That's is really good. So you're um, teaching it at McRobb? Yeah, so at McRobb we're taking a couple of short story collections in a kind of extended unit for the creative response. Um, We're looking at Elizabeth Tan's stories, Smart Ovens for Lonely People. Beautiful. As well as um, the Ted Chung stories and different types of students are connecting to different stories across those two collections. Beautiful. Yeah. And the thing about Ted Chung that kind of separates him from the Tan and others is that there's a kind of purity or clarity to the way that he does science fiction yes you know it's 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 the kind of science fiction that is playing with sometimes one sometimes a couple of ideas and that's it let's see what happens yes um and in terms of the creative response task in literature i think that's quite generous as an option for students who might want to try their own philosophical or scientific notion and put it into a scenario and see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that each story, as we work through them, each story, I think the students are the same. We can see the potential for different ways of taking, uh, you know, obviously filling a gap or a silence, sure, but like creating an entirely new world that would potentially be an addition to this collection I'm finding really interesting like you know let's create a whole new set of characters and think about language in a in a different way you know there's been some really interesting ideas thrown around about um um I think one of the students in my class was talking about um taking a bit of an avatar approach and having this idea of um sort of physiological perfection but the existence of somebody who is moving through the world without hearing 
and then suddenly the 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 so the way they communicate when they're the only person who is deaf is obviously going to be quite different when you might be you might have a community of deaf people um and then looking at language and how that might change if they suddenly can hear and whether that is necessarily advantageous Correct. that story at the end of the collection liking what you see on the surface is kind of playful and yeah. simple but yeah. the more you discuss it and consider it the more you think oh there are really interesting ethical questions going on here about what we want like what kinds of superpowers are really desirable or what the cost of knowing something or experiencing something is yeah, the, I think that cost benefit analysis is fascinating in all the stories. Like I, I mean, I think straight away um, about story of your life, where this is a person who you know has the ability to see the future but can't change it. You know, with the idea of free will and whether or not you would accept your future and not try to change things. Like I, I find that fascinating as well. Um, such an interesting story. Um, yeah, the heptapods with their kind of different relationship to language because, to quote the story, for the heptapods, all language was performative. Instead of using language to inform, they used language to actualize. Mm. And, and to present these beings as actually quite okay with that, even mm. quite free mm. from needing to select things all the time or, or even say goodbye you know, you... <laughs> right. they just disappear yeah, they, they seem blissful <laughs> they <just> go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's 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 something wonderful in that story um yeah about learning something that then changes you and then by being changed you suddenly have access to deep sadness and deep sorrow um but then that kind of serenity of serenity being aware is... that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, there's keep something, going. No, exactly. There's, there's something calm when you can no longer choose. Yes, no longer choose and no longer wonder. Right. And no longer kind of ruminate on possibility because it's all laid out for you. And I think as well when you said serenity in, and I don't know how many of my students agreed with me, a lot of the time they disagree with what I say, which is fine. <laughs> Um, but I, as a mother, I read Story of Your Life in a different way to, I guess, the way they're, they're reading it. And I really sat with the idea of being given a kind of language that lived beyond your child. So faced with something like the grief of losing a child, how you can then adopt this language where their presence is actually permanent you know, the, yes. you're using language to kind of overcome grief in a way. I found that fascinating. Um, and whether or not that was his, his intention, I don't know, but that I really sat with that and I, I found real comfort in the fact that she could be speaking from the future in the now and in the past all at once about her child, you know, having these memories. Um, yeah, I, I, I found that incredibly moving and comforting. And that's a, a feature of Chung there as well, that in the same story, he's talking about um, some 17th century idea about physics, 
but also deeply moving us when we think yes. about what it means to age or to parent or to grieve yes. um, and, and to just neatly alternate between yeah. that future tense stuff, which is some projected memory about the child and the family, and then back into the strange little learning from the heptapods lab. Um, it has a and, real austerity the, about it, doesn't it? Like the, those exchanges yeah, has a yeah. real kind of, um, you know, there's a limitation to what can be communicated and how it can be communicated. Even in this expansive sort of model of language, there is a real austerity and I think that's reflected in the language, especially in those um, more scientific sections where yeah. the language is so crisp and kind of, um, precise, uh, and then we shift into the, that you know deeply emotional um, and philosophical kind of section when it when it's um, Dr. Louise. I love that story. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Which one's your favourite? Well, I'm just looking down the list and remembering that only five of these have been set for study. So there's I a know. nice concision. Um, to that sequence. Tower of Babylon is a sort of powerful and clear start to the collection that has yeah. stayed with me. Um, and I like about that and also about 72 letters that they are science fiction set in the past. Mm. Mm. Um, and yeah, right. that sort of the, the steampunkiness of 72 letters and the biblical, mythical, ancient world time setting of Tower of Babylon. These are not the standard time periods that we think about when we think of sci-fi. But interestingly for Chung, Tower of Babylon was his first published story. So he obviously wanted to play with ancient ideas while in a genre traditionally associated with what's going to happen next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that really appeals to me. I sort of, I, I like that he doesn't um, do anything anachronistic in those other time period settings either. So if you're going into um, an ancient Middle Eastern world, that's all you've got. That's all you're yeah. going to know about. You, you, you might understand gravity and you might understand lightning, but that's probably about it. Um, and then if you get to heaven and it turns out to be the water under the earth, that's going to be a moment of total wonder that has nothing to do with your um, faith and any change to your faith that, because your, your worldview is 100% of that place and time. Um, and and so, like, again, to open with a story that is so ancient talks to some of the stuff about time we were considering in Story of Your Life, that the collection as a whole has this sort of timeless quality and a playfulness of being able to range across present and past really calmly. Yeah, and I think that what you said about the, the that um, staying within the realms of the technological advances of of kind of imagined time because I, I kind of like, yes, it's definitely feels of, of the past, that story, and certainly um, uh, 72 letters. No. Mm. Yeah, the 19th letters. century one. Yeah, 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 definitely yeah. Feel, feels that way as well. But yeah. and, but again, that, that sense across the stories that these could be set at any time or an unknown yes. time. Um, kind of reflects the language that is being used in Story of Your Life, doesn't it? That shifting between past and present and 
uh, and future tenses that's in the language is reflected in the kinds of stories and the settings that are that are in the collection. Um, how do you how do you read um, or how do your students read understand that story about like brain changes? Um, we spent quite a bit of time with understand, trying to understand. I think my favourite moment <laughs> is the fact that the word understand is the word that kills him in the end or the word that nice. dissolves him because I feel nice. like I felt like that, <laughs> you know. That's I, good. I'm not going to lie. I didn't, it wasn't a cruise of a read. Like I really had to work for it um, in a similar way that I had to work for 72 letters, I think. Um, the other stories I could kind of, with my limited scientific knowledge and my limited brain in terms of maths and physics and whatever else, like I can wrangle with and be comfortable with not knowing things. But I think in 72 okay. letters and in understand, there was stuff that I wanted to understand that I didn't, that I needed to go away and find out. Um, so we spent a bit of time looking at the different um, sort of theoretical frameworks that come up through that text um, I think what I found most interesting about Understand was the way that the language becomes depersonalised is the wrong word, but it's a really subtle thing that he does. Like the start of the story, he's just some guy. And then by the end, you get, you sort of even don't, you don't even really notice that the, the language style has changed. It's, it's so crafty the way he's put that story together because you you move with his capacity for you know, with his intelligence. You kind of move through that with him, but you don't, it's not until you go back and reread it that you realise he's a completely different person at the start of the story. And that's why the short story is the right text type for conveying that idea, you know. Mm. But I completely agree with you that it's almost like you're a frog in the boiling water of this <laughs> change to yes. capacity and change to personality, um, and you just take that journey with this figure who by the way is also not very lovable so there's an unreliability to the narration and a kind of nastiness in a way to the character um but 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 he's all we've got we've just got this figure who is on the one hand um in hospital needing assistance and then sort of addicted to having his brain transform um and unlike in story of your life i just think that the the character himself is unappealing somehow. Chung wants us to, yeah, Chung wants us to see the world from a really unique and quite curious perspective. Yeah. Um, but but I definitely don't love our our storyteller in that no. context. No, it's interesting, isn't it? Like we had an, uh, it wasn't an argument, but no, it was definitely an argument about whether or not, um, this is a story about what it means to be a good human. And I mm. would argue that, yes, it is a story about what it means to be a good human. And if you had the capacity to become so incredibly intelligent, would you use those powers for good or evil? Like it's an age-old question, isn't it, really? Um, and some of the students in the class that I teach were... I don't know. They're just like, well, it's not about it's not about people. This is not a story about people. This is a story about science and tech and advancement. And his humanity is not an issue because he doesn't have any. 
Well, he does what we fear we would do if we had access to advanced technology, which is just look after number one, you know, mm. just develop and advance our own capacity potentially at the expense of other people. Mm. Like he's he's an everyman kind of narrator because he's just an he's average guy who suddenly has power. Exactly. He's a yeah. loser. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um. I think um, I mentioned the dissolving before. We um, have had a bit of a look at beginnings and endings in Chan mm-hmm. as well, and I love that. And it's in keeping with that idea of time being um, a pretty slippery concept. The beginnings and endings are very similar in every story. We always end up where we started. Nice. Um, if you think about Tower of Babylon, we end up back where we started. If you think about the... Um, the narrator of Understand in a coma talking about dissolving. You know, he, he comes back to that at the end. Um, That's such a like, great observation. And that'll be so helpful for designing creative responses. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So what else? So we've got, what haven't we talked about? I mean, there's so much we haven't talked about. I feel like these stories require um, multiple reads, each of them. I mean, we always say that about every text in English and in literature, of course, but this particular collection, I don't think you could get away with only three reads of each story and still feel like you'd be adept at responding in enough depth. Yeah, and then to start doing a little bit of internal intertextuality, as you did there with that observation about beginnings and endings being something that is a recurring stylistic choice from Chung. Um, I'd also go to the story notes at the back of the collection, which are on the one hand helpful, but then on the other hand, kind of funny. Like if you need a guide, (laughs) if you need the author to tell a little bit of biography, even to access... Yeah, that's right. Um, It's adorable, of course, and helpful. Um, But again, to go to the creative response task, students might think, well, how does Chung see the story that I'm focused on? What one or two elements does he believe are at the heart of it? And then if I was to insert a new notion or take one of his out and replace it with something else, um, what would the world of that story then be like? Would my um, author's note guide. be? Well, what exactly? And might I include a little author's note in my creative response to be truly <laughs> responsive to <laughs> If Chung. you are too dumb to understand my story, oh. this is what it's about. <laughs> but then, of course, they've got the 20-point follow-up task um, in this new study design, don't they? So they're, they're going to have to take a passage oh, and yeah. be, be self-commentating in some That's way. That's right. That's right. And I think that's the thing too, the the requirement, that second part of this task really requires them to be conscious of the decisions they're making as they're making them and make notes on that consciousness. Like as they're writing their short story, if they think I'm really borrowing from page 35 here, please make a note of it because you'll need to be able to come back to that later on Um it's an interesting development in the study design. I think I like it. I'll get back to you on whether or not I do at the end of the of the area of study, yeah, but I, I feel I, like I, it works. 
Well, yes, it gives some kind of um, grounding to where students can start their commentary because they need to find a passage and use those skills of close analysis that they have now, you know, practiced quite a bit across unit three um, and to, yeah, put them to work, I guess, in relation to their own creative practice. Yeah, I really like the idea of using close analysis to articulate choices and and you know the vision that you have when you're creating something or crafting something to then really dig you know um dig deep into the passages that have inspired you it's it's feels less rudimentary than a kind of written explanation totally yeah yeah and then can prepare students for a section a or section b um exam response as well you know it's sort of keeping that in the mix I feel like that too. I feel across the course much more confident in this study design than I probably have in the past that students would be able to, um, you know, really pick and choose which texts they want to respond to for both sections. Talking about the exam is a whole other episode, though, which we should definitely um, make. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm obsessed. I'm I'm especially obsessed with... Um, section A of the exam. I need some pre-briefing on that we big time. Do. We all do. A um, couple of my students have raised some questions about the exam and um, I've been um, mindfully evasive. <laughs> you know Which is such a are? classic stance of the literature teacher. <laughs> yeah, mm, you know, it'll come together and it will. And I think what everyone needs to remember is that we're all in the same boat. Nobody has a crystal ball here. We'll just work through it as we work through it. And we're all in totally. the same same boat. Some of us with Super stronger oars. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, it is so good to talk. It is so good to talk. Um, is there anything else you wanted to bring up about the Chan collection? Look, all I wanted to... Um, think about is stuff that we've touched on already I mean to go back to one of the early stories we discussed story of your life to mix that with the author note material that we talked about the story note for that is beautiful and is about growing old Um, and there's a real sense there that maybe we as adults do already have some of the experience that the narrator or protagonist of that story is living through. I mean, she's accessed it through linguistic knowledge and contact from beings beyond our realm. But for us, we're just developing more experience, more awareness of what has caused us to grieve and caused us to hope. We've seen more and experienced more that now we do in a way have the capacity to know what happens right. in our and own you, lives. Yeah, it's already happened. Yeah, that's right. As you experience more, you reflect more, which makes you think about how you're going to move through the world in the future, right? And free will, to the extent that it actually exists, has absolutely finished for my first 41 years. It's done. Let Over and go. out, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And and so I'm finding that quite a profound point of connection that I wouldn't have come to without the author's note where Chung makes clear that, you know, from another text, there is this beautiful description of what it means to age and relate to the future with a kind of insight and comfort. Yeah. What a lovely way to finish. Um, you just letting me know that you're younger than me. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thanks. <laughs> I'm speaking of science fiction. I'm turning 42 this year, which is the answer to life, the universe, and everything, according to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So it's oh, all going to go happen straight to Forty Second Street. Do a little jazz hand. Oh, even nicer. <laughs> even nicer. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear all right well thank you so much yeah 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 thanks so much for this opportunity it's delightful to talk literature and i wish all of your students very well thank you for gifting us with this lovely collection